morning, Sailorville family and visitors to Sailorville. This little person and I are joining you from home this morning and we'd like to read for you Psalm 40 verses 1 through 8 to the choir master, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen to that. When I asked our Gemma to uh, read the scripture from Psalm 40, and I invite you to find your, take your Bibles and go there, if you would please, Psalm 40. Uh, she said she'd be happy to do that, but she couldn't come. She'd have to do it from home. I said, that we'll record it. She goes, would you like me to memorize it? I said, all the better. She did, did that in about one day. What a beautiful passage of Scripture of praise. And that is what I felt inclined to share with you today as we come back together. and Welcome back, Sailorville Church. I know that Jason already did that. I just want to say thanks for coming back. Uh, even under these unusual circumstances, we're hoping that within the next month, the, in the trajectory of things, it'll be even more normal. Uh, but it's still good to get together, is it not? Since uh, March 8th, it's been 13 weeks. That's a semester if you're in school. It's been quite a while. And a lot's happened in your lives, in my life, in our church's life, certainly in our community, our state our country, and our world. I mean, the world has been reeling over this uh, virus. And then, of course, our own country, economically and even racially. Uh, and we've even addressed that in-house a few weeks ago. Many of you saw that. And I would just give this little caveat to you. Uh, as you we're still dealing with this thing, I realize this, and you have opinions, and some of you are stating your opinions. Some of you are writing your opinions. May I just encourage you to stay 20, 30, 40, 50,000 feet above this right now. That is wait until we're that far over it. Because you might be saying things that you're going to regret saying later on. This is the time for you and I to search our hearts. This is the time for you and I to confess our sins. This is the time for you and I to really be praying for our president and our governor and for all those in authority over these things, our law enforcement officers and all of those who are directly impacted by this tension that's in our country right now. And it's going on. And, and, and meantime, life goes on as well, right? People get married. We've had three brand new married couples that got married during this COVID. I saw two of them for the first time 
I mean, they didn't even get to go to their wedding today. Uh, babies have been born, and these are just the ones that are born in my family during the COVID. The one in the upper right, six hours ago. Oh, thanks. You'd appreciate that. Uh, so, I mean, in the meantime, people have gotten sick. They've gone to the hospital. Ministry's gone on. The gospel's gone forth. People have been coming to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Discipleship, counseling, future planning, preaching, teaching, singing, comforting, rejoicing, and dealing with lots of struggles. Some of them really, really have. None of these things have ceased. We've had a couple of our families who have contracted the covid uh, 19, they've gotten through it. They've survived. They've had plenty of margin. They're back. You hugged four of them today. I'm kidding. You didn't do that. More than anything, it's good to see everybody again. And uh, I just, uh, as I mentioned social media, uh, how, how many of you have pet peeves about what people post on social media? Just raise your hand here. Okay. Okay. I do too. I'm going to tell you one right now. I got to get it off my chest. Some of it is what people write. Some of it is the. I mean, you know, don't get into bantering on social media. That's the dumbest thing in the world. But we've all kind of succumbed to that from time to time. For me, my personal pet peeve is narcissistic pictures. I don't mean just a photograph of you and your wife or you by yourself. That's normal or whatever. But I'm not, I'm talking about the abnormal ones. The ones that are, you know, just so narcissistic, so gaudy, so about myself, so full of myself. Of course, because I, I need my own self-esteem to be. I want you to just, um, just see how pretty I am and how handsome I am or whatever it is. That's my, that's my pet peeve. And if that's you, and I know it may be some of you. I'm not looking, and please don't point any fingers. It could be symptomatic of your desire that you have for greater glory. The glory of God. John Piper put it best when he said this. We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to, to increase self-esteem. Only Piper would write like that. There is greater healing for the soul in beholding the splendor than in beholding self. Can I get an amen? Listen, nothing gives God greater glory then when we, watch this, when we behold him for who he is and all of the splendor of his divine attributes, and when we bless him for all the things that he has done for us in our lives, namely, if we're followers of Jesus, to save us from damnation eternally so. If, you're, if you get caught up in the splendor of God, and the gratitude and praise to God for what he's done for you, that will cause you to rise up, to look up, to lift up your heart and your hands, and speak up praise to God for all that he's already done for you. Psalm 40 is what I've chosen. This is a little bit off, this is off script. This, we're going away from our Exodus series. We'll be back into it next week. This is just a come back together sermon, if we could, please. And it's, and, and it's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of prophecy. It's a psalm of pleading. And we won't ignore all of those, but our focus is going to be on praise. Because what I want to lay on you today is five reasons you should be greatly praising the Lord especially if you're a child of God. And I never assume everyone in the room or in the listening audience is a child of God. 
But if you are, from this psalm, I want to give you five reasons to greatly praise him. And the first one right out of the chute is because he heard you and you cried to him. Did you see that I waited patiently for the Lord? And he, what's the next word? Inclined unto me. He heard my cry. God hears you. David said in Psalm 65, Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all the ends of the earth will come. Have you ever read that? God hears us, and you should greatly praise him for that. The word inclined is a really cool Hebrew word. It literally means to stretch toward or to bend down toward. Almost as if the person who's bending is hard of hearing. He's got to hear it. It's not that God has any problem hearing us. But it just shows his compassion as he inclines himself to us, and aren't you glad? And this is what should cause you and I to greatly praise the Lord and be filled, and here's the, the operative word today, with wonder. Because I think a lot of our wonder needs some refurbishment. It's lost its luster. It's lost its wonder. God is wonderful, amen? And we should... In wonder and praise, praise him back for that. He, he heard my cry, David writes. Just the other day on the back porch of our home, my wife and I, along with another couple in our church, we've been working for six or seven weeks with another couple, uh, and the dots were just starting to just connect. The gospel was making sense. We went through the Word of God and we saw how salvation, how, how the Word of God is so consistent in salvation being by faith alone and, we, and the dots were making sense and we finally ended up in Romans 10, 13 where it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Calls, cries. That's a cry of desperation. And right there, it made sense. And this precious couple, after six or seven weeks, humbled themselves and in tears, cried out to God, and they were saved. Just the other day. God hears you when you cry. Now, some of you are crying out to God, and you're not getting any response. And the reason might be because of what Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says. God's Hand isn't so short that it can't save. His ear isn't so heavy that he can't hear. But your sins have separated you from your God so that he will not listen. Have you ever read that? So your sins effectively cut off having this audience through audio with God. But if you know him, if you've trusted him, if you're a follower of him, you should be filled with wonder that he would hear you, that he would hear me. Secondly, because he rescued you when you couldn't rescue yourself. Did you see what David was facing? We don't know what he was facing, but it had to be bad. Look what he says. He heard my cry. He drew me up out of a pit of destruction. Some of your Bibles say horrible pit. Out of the miry bog. Set my feet on a rock. Yeah, I've been rescued. Pit of destruction. That Hebrew word destruction literally means noise. It carries the idea of an of a, of a audio tumult, a noise. And God hears us, but before we come to know him, we're just making noise and we're just hearing noise. He saved us out of a pit of noise. Every time I read this, I think of a guy that I led to Christ years ago, an amazing testimony. But as is often the case, when he's getting baptized, he, his testimony, he sort, of, he sort of changed it a little bit. 
And he was standing in the baptismal and he said, and when I trusted in Jesus, I was, I was, uh, I was, filled, I was filled with emptiness. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm thinking, you just filled the entire congregation with emptiness. Who wants to, what a terrible description of salvation. I got saved and I was filled with emptiness. But as soon as he said that, he followed up with this. And then I realized the emptiness was the absence of all the noise. And that might be some of, I mean, we are living in the noisiest time of our lives, in the history of the world. And sometimes it's all that ambient noise, whatever noise you're listening to, it's keeping you from God, from rescuing you. David sees himself saved out of a pit of noise. What a, what a metaphor. But then he quickly changes it. He changes metaphors, and he says, out of the miry bog. Have you ever seen a bug? Have you ever been stuck in a bug? I know somebody who has. Our very own high school director, Andrew Bush, who's going to come and tell you all about it. Let's give him a round of applause as he comes. How's that? Well, it was a portage in the wilderness called the Via Della Rosa. And it was a very long trek where you had to pick up your backpack and your canoe and go hiking on this trail with all this weight bearing down on you. And I was there with Jared Leonard. We were training to take the youth uh, later on the last summer. And uh, we started out the trek. Jared put the canoe on his back first. Didn't make it very far <laughs> before he had to transfer it over to me. I had barely gone anywhere at all when I encountered a muddy spot. Now, that's very normal for these treks. And I judged the mud to be about ankle deep or so. Boy, was I wrong. It was closer to knee deep. And the sudden shock of dropping further than I expected, plus all the weight on my back, caused my knees to buckle underneath me. And I was soon up to almost waist deep in mud. And I could not move at all. Thankfully, I assumed Jared would be right behind me to help, right? wrong. Jared had decided to take a water break and not tell anybody about it. So Jared was nowhere to be seen, and I'm underneath a canoe that I can't even move off my back, stuck in the mud yelling, Jared! Jared! There were some other people that came along the trail, and I thought to myself, thank goodness I'm saved. And they come, and it's like the, the parable of the Good Samaritan only these people played the role of the Pharisee and the, the other guy that just saw him and passed by on the other side, did nothing to help me. They say, well, he's in there, and just walked right on by. I couldn't believe it. Thankfully, eventually, Jared meandered his way up the trail, and all he can see is a canoe and mud, because <laughs> I'm just hidden underneath all of it. And he yelled, oh my, and ran to my rescue, tripping over a log, and coming face first into the mud, splashing it everywhere, bruising his ankle. But eventually he was able to get the canoe off me, drag me out, and I never would have been able to get out of the mud if it wouldn't have been for Jared. And together, the two of us conquered the Via Della Rosa and had a story to tell afterwards. <laughs> he shared that a year ago, and I said, i got to figure out a time to get that up there, and this was that time. But now you got a picture of what a miry bog is. That's exactly where they are at. That's exactly what Andrew was in, a miry bog. You don't get out of miry bugs, bogs on your own. 
Uh, you need help. You need somebody to rescue. And here's the point. We ought to great, greatly praise God because he rescued you when you could not rescue yourself. And this is a depiction of confusion. The bog is a confusion. It's disarray. It's despair, which some of you may be in right now. You may be in confusion. Your life might be in disarray. You might be despairing right now. You're in a bog. God can rescue you. God will rescue you through the cross of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he does, he draws us up. He puts us on a rock. And isn't Jesus our rock? He makes us secure. And this is how Paul put it in the book of Colossians. He, he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us or crossed us over into the kingdom of the son of his love. Have you ever read that? Great passage. Rescued. Rescued. A young mother gave me permission the other day to share this story, which she shared with us just a few weeks ago. She was walking around a pond near their home. <coughs> Excuse me. She had two littles in her in a, a stroller. They were strapped in real a brand new baby, brand new baby, and a little one just a little over a year old. She was strolling them, and her older one was on a bike learning how to ride for the first time. They came to a little bridge around the pond, and the older one was struggling to keep the bike. You know, she had just got out, they just got out the training wheels. So she, the mom just let go of the stroller temporarily and went behind the bike and pushed the bike to get it up over the, over the, uh, the bridge. And as soon as she left the stroller, it made a beeline for the pond. Hit the pond, flipped over, face down, boom, and sunk. And she told she tell this story, just high drama. I mean, just all, every, every sense of hers went alive. She cried out, they cried out, and she rescued him. She goes, it's amazing how babies can hold their breath underwater. Yeah, hallelujah. And they were just fine. But let me tell you something. You're those babies. You're strapped in. You're not going anywhere unless somebody, what, rescues you. And you ought to give, if you know Jesus, just as the psalmist David did, you ought to praise him and praise him greatly because he rescued you when you couldn't rescue yourself and start to refurbish the wonder in your life. Here's a third reason you ought to give great praise to God because he put a new song of praise in your heart. Did you see that there? I love this part of this. He says, he says in verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, praise to my God. And then he says this, Many, many will see it, they'll fear, and they'll trust in the Lord. Many will see it, fear, and trust in the Lord. He goes from the mire to the choir. <laughs> Here's a question. What are they seeing when they see you going through your mires? When we are in a mire, when we are in the pit of noise, God didn't leave us. The question is, what happens to you during that time? Are you still praising the Lord? Well, you say, well, yeah, well, that's easy. David is singing after the fact. He's already been pulled out. No wonder he's singing. Read the rest of the psalm. We'll, 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 get, we'll flit into it here in a moment. But David isn't out of trouble. The very psalm, the 14th verse says, there are people that are trying to snatch his life from him at that moment. And yet he's praising him. And yet he's praising him. Listen to me. 
Your life under duress. Hear this. Your life under duress. And how you respond in those circumstances is the greatest evidence of true praise in your life. It's not when, you know, it's all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It's when there is pressure in your life, as it was with David. I was in a coffee shop here the other day. Nothing new there. Right outside of the coffee shop near a, um, the deck of this place where you could sit, and there, were, there was a table just about five, six feet away from me. And in the space of about a half hour, give or take, two elderly couples sat there. The one couple sat there and then left after 20 minutes, a half hour. Then another couple sat. I'll tell you about the first couple in a little bit. The second couple were, um, they were, they were, it turns out they were Christian. He was a chatty one. Uh, they, they started talking. He was telling me he was a Christian. He goes, I love to sing. I said, that's cool. No, I mean, I love that. I sing when I get up in the morning. I sing all the time. In fact, I've sang twice already today. And it was like 1030 in the morning. I thought, have you been at an event or something? His wife goes, no, no. We were driving down the road, and we came to a stoplight, and there was another couple next to us. They didn't look like they were very happy. And I looked at my husband, and he looked at me and said, do you think they need a song, honey? We rolled the window down, and he sang to them. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen to you? That was so cool. So cool. Here is a man who has not lost his wonder. He's singing as unto the Lord, looking for every opportunity to do so. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to my God. Many will see it, maybe even in a car. And fear and trust in the Lord. Oh, the wonder. Here's a fourth reason you ought to. Greatly praise the Lord, because he gave you an ear to hear and a heart to believe. Now, this is the prophecy part. I said this psalm is, is, praise, pro, is praise, prophecy, and pleading. Verses 6 through 8 says this, In sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Look at that. The Hebrew says a dugout ear. It's kind of a strange... Uh, there's a lot of... There's a lot of debate as to exactly the meaning of this, but I think there's some common sense here. You gave me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you've not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It's written of me, and the me here is Jesus, even though it's David as he's writing it. It's prophetic of Jesus. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is in my what? Say it. It's in my heart. Now he says he, he opened his ear. Actually, the Hebrew is plural. Open my ears. God doesn't just open your eyes. He opens your ears when he saves you. I told you about these two couples, the first one the other day in the coffee shop. This, uh, I just thought to myself after this, oh, God, save me from this circumstance. They were just a few feet away from me, and they looked like a nice couple. And I, I, last hour, I said every two minutes, I think it was more like every 30 seconds. About every 30 seconds, she would be talking, he would go, what? And she would just talk in, and literally 30, 45 seconds, what? I heard this for seven or eight straight minutes. I started chuckling. I read, Why am I laughing? This could be me. <laughs> Hard of hearing. But that's as some of you are, spiritually speaking. You're hard of hearing. 
Remember when Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation 2 and 3? He concluded every message to those churches with the same words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When God opens up your ears, you follow him. And he says at the very end, verse 8 rather that is, he says, he says I delight to do your will, oh my God. I delight to do your will. Because your law is what? Superimposed on me, preached to me, pressed upon me. No, the law is in my heart. God's law is impossible to hear, much less obey, when our hearts aren't in it. You ever do something, you ever do something that your heart wasn't in? Of course you have. It's a drudgery, is it not? Some of you, that's your whole vision of the Christian life. It's a total drudgery. Oh my goodness, you got to go to church again. This is getting kind of fun. Well, you know, watching church in our pajamas when I did watch it, whatever. Everything about the Christian life is a drudgery because your heart's never been changed. But when God changes your heart, he puts his laws within our hearts so that it becomes a delight. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. Why? Because you've changed my heart. That's why. Your law is within my heart. And I'm, I never lose the luster and the wonder that way. By the way, I mentioned this is prophetic. In Hebrews 10, this, this passage refers to Jesus, whose eyes, whose ears, and whose heart was always wide open to his heavenly Father. Is yours? One more thing. One more reason to greatly praise the Lord. Because his greatness, watch this, is displayed through your gladness. His greatness is on display through your gladness. Now, in verses 9 and 10, he's still, he's still effervescing. In fact, he says, I can't hold this to myself. Look, he says in verse 9, he says, I've told you the glad, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love from the great congregation. David is saying what the, what the, what the apostles would say later on. We can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. What, what has come in, what has changed his heart, has got to get out. I believe, therefore I spoke, is another passage in the New Testament. And that's what David is saying here. There's such gladness in my heart, I've got to get it out. But lest you think, again, well, yeah, it's easy, you know, for anybody to praise Jesus, you know, during the good times. I mean, obviously, he's already been lifted out of the pit of destruction. He's already been lifted out of the, the miry bog. But as I mentioned, he's, he got out, but he's not out. It's, don't picture David on a, sitting on a rock somewhere going, whew, man, that was crazy. I'm going to write a song to Jesus. No, it's more like him sitting on a rock going, oh, my goodness, where are they going to come from next? Because as I said, I mean, just look at some of these verses. Verse 12, he says, the evils have encompassed me beyond numbers. My iniquities have overtake me. I can't see them. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails. Oh, please, Lord, deliver me. Make haste to help me. 
People are laughing at me in verse, at the end of verse 15. And as I already mentioned in verse 14, they're trying to snatch my life away. That's not a guy who's looking back only in his rearview mirror. That's a guy who's still struggling. But he's still glad. Listen again. God's greatness is displayed through our gladness. In December of 1976, Valley Forge, soldiers are dying, some are deserting. It's a pitiful situation for this young, not yet country, not yet nation, that is. Thomas Paine wrote a series of articles, now famous, about the crisis at hand. The words that the excerpt I'm going to quote, I'm going to read rather, will be very familiar to many of you. But they were familiar to no one at the time, except for George Washington, who had read them. Washington knew that these words were so powerful, so inspiring. He needed to inspire the troops. So he had them read to the troops, not because they were famous, but because he wanted to inspire them. And here the words are. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, tyranny like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. We might say the more glorious the praise. Then he writes, What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Is God. Is God and his son Jesus and his great salvation. Does it create dearness in you and thus nearness to him? The writer of Hebrews said, how shall you escape if you neglect so great salvation? Have you ever read that? It's a great salvation, is it not? And David, while still on the run, having just experienced the deliverance he's praising God for, he's going to have to have another deliverance. He's asking God to deliver him yet from that. He says this, and be ready to shout it out in verse uh, 16. I'll put it up there for you. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually. A little better, but still kind of pathetic. Do you see the exclamation point here? Let's say it together. Let those who love your salvation say continually. There it is. Great is the Lord. Greatness, watch it, greatness wrapped up in gladness. God's greatness wrapped up in your gladness. That's what he says there. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. God's greatness wrapped up in your gladness. And so with a beautiful conclusion he writes, and again I'll put the words up, As for me, I'm poor, needy, 
But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Look how I've, what I've underlined here. David writes, I am, and then you are. Let me tell you something. If you get that, I am, you are, if you get that, you get God. Half the problem of our country and world is it's all about me, the I am, me, my problems, my issues, and everything else. And we're so narcissistic, we're so myopic, it's all about me and my problems, and my problems. How about making big of God? I am, you are. You get that, you'll get God. When Gypsy Smith, the great evangelist of the last century, was an elderly man, he was still preaching the gospel, still traveling and preaching to people around the world. He was getting ready to jump on a ship, and somebody said to him, Gypsy, after all these years, you're still preaching the gospel. How do you maintain your freshness? And his reply was this. Because I've never lost the wonder. Have you? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. For you. And for your son Jesus, who is wonderful and is called as such in your word. Thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation. And for the wonder that has filled many of our hearts upon crying out to you. You heard our cry. You rescued us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. You opened up our ears as well as our eyes. You made our hearts believe. Oh God, may your greatness be wrapped in our gladness, in the expression of our joy, in the luster of our wonder over you. And for those of us, Lord, whose wonder needs to be refurbished, would you do that? Would you reignite us for your glory? for greater glory, not the glory of self, not the I am of self, <laughs> but you are. You are great and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable, but we look anyway. I pray, God, that you would speak to every heart in this room and online, watching around the world. And would you just examine your heart right now, dear friend? What does the heart look like? Is it, does it shine? Is it filled with wonder? Is there a luster about it? Or is it tarnished and rusty? Oh God, we repent of our own sin, especially those of us who know you. I pray, dear God, for those in here and watching who don't know you. Their hearts have never been changed. That's the reason why everything about you and the gospel is a drudgery to them. If that's you, dear friend, would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? He came to rescue you from your no pit of noise, from the bog you're sunk into. You can't rescue yourself. He died for you, rose again. Would you trust him today? 
and be filled with the wonder of God. God, we pray these things with great joy and gratitude and gladness for your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.